Praise the Lord. You all can be seated this morning. It's so good to be with you. I always honor and cherish the privilege of, of speaking to this body. And uh, I, I really do. Uh, I consider it a, a high honor to be able to, to speak from this pulpit, speak from this holy desk. And uh, I love this church. I love this church. This church has uh, been my home for uh, 20, 20, over 25 years. Um, uh, but I love this church, and it's uh, my wife's home church, and now it's my daughter's home church, and she is being brought up with the same mechanisms and the same ministries that I was. And... Uh, I'm very comfortable with that, and uh, I'm very glad that my daughter is being brought up in the same atmosphere of the spirit and faith that I was for all these years. Uh, for those who don't know me, my name is Pastor Tim. Um, hello, and uh, I, I've uh, been the youth pastor here for uh, almost 10 years now. Praise the Lord for that, uh, but uh, I'd like to dive right into the Word today. Is that Okay. Father, Lord, we just thank you for your word. And right now, we thank you that your word would come to life, that your word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And Father, Lord, we thank you as we read your word, we see it with fresh eyes and the light comes on, the light of revelation comes on and we see your word and we get new revelation from it. And we thank you right now in the name of Jesus that I'm a vessel. I thank you for speaking through my lips, thanking through my mind. And we thank you, Lord, that you confirm your word with signs following. Father, we thank you, Lord, that freedom breaks out. We thank you, Lord, that healings break out in the name of Jesus at the heard word and the preached word. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. If you would, turn with me to Matthew chapter 24. One of my favorite passages of Scripture was what, what Todd had uh, alluded to, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12, where it says, Fight the good fight of faith. And for many, many years, I, I, I believed, and it is true, that, that we need to fight the noble fight, right? The good fight, the noble fight, the just fight of faith. Um, but then I found out that it actually means more fight and be good at it. Amen? Yes. Fight the fight of faith and be good at fighting. Amen? Don't be lazy. Don't be weak in your fight. Don't be fearful in your fight. Don't be cowarding in your fight, but fight the fight of faith and be good at it. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. And uh, I believe a lot of us are, are trying to fight the fight of faith, but we're not very good at it all the time because we become wayward in our stance on faith. Yeah. Amen? I believe that a lot of people uh, in this world are fearful. There's a lot of people in the church that are fearful. There's a lot of people in the world. In fact, I don't want to say a lot of people. All of the people in the world are fearful. Yes. President Putin is fearful. fearful. What he's doing is just a manifestation of what? Fear. fear. It's a manifestation of fear. Um, a lot of the conspiracy theories that you have or that you've heard are a manifestation of fear. The ones that you want to believe and the ones that are just so outrageous that they don't make any sense. You know what they are? A manifestation of fear. Now, I believe that some conspiracy theories do have merit. And I do believe some of them are true, but there's some really crazy ones out there. Um, and you want, you want to know what they are? They're a manifestation of fear. People are trying to make up stuff to protect themselves, to try to overthrow things that they don't like. Amen? Matthew chapter 24, in verse 3. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us when these things will be, and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age. Now, where is Jesus sitting? On the Mount of Olives. I think that's very interesting because that's where he ascends and that's where we know from prophecy that he will come back a second time. 
On the very same mountain where he ascends into heaven is the very same mountain he began to prophesy about the end of times and his second coming where he will set his foot on the Mount of Olives. It will split in half and he will walk into Jerusalem. That's pretty cool. The same mountain he begins to prophesy about what you will see at the end is the same mountain that's going to split in half. It says north to south and he will walk into Jerusalem. And so he's on the Mount of Olives and his disciples begin to say, tell us what we're going to see. What's the formula? What are we going to see? What are we going to hear? Verse 4. He doesn't start with what you're going to see with your natural eyes. Jesus answered and said to them, take heed that no one, what? We know there's going to be a lot of deception. A lot of deception. In fact, Deception was so important in Jesus' mind, it's the first thing he said. Deception. People are going to try to deceive you out of your place. People are going to try to deceive you out of a, a, a position of faith. People are going to try to deceive you out of your churches. And they were fairly successful. People are going to try to deceive you out of your family, out of your marriage. Amen? Amen? Amen. And Jesus warned us, at the end times, you're going to see deception on a level that has never been seen or heard of. Verse 5. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will what? deceive many. Now there's two ways that we can take this verse people, uh, that it says will come in my name and say I am the Christ. Well we can take that two ways. One that people will come and say that I am Jesus Christ. Well I don't think that a whole lot of Christians are going to fall for that. There's going to be some bozos but there will be some people saying, coming and say I am Jesus. Well okay. But another way that we can take it is that there will be some people coming and saying, I will deliver you. Just how the Christ is supposed to what? Deliver. That people will take the position of a Christ-like figure and saying, I am your answer. I will deliver you from your problems. I will do this, and I will bring freedom and and all of these different things. Amen? And they'll do what? Deceive. Deceive. Deceive many. Verse 6. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Another version puts it like this. You'll hear of wars and threats of wars. So that you will not uh, see that you are not, what? Troubled. For all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famine, pestilence, and earthquakes in various places. Let's go back to verse 6. And you will hear of wars and what? Rumors or threats of wars. I don't know if you're living under a rock, but what have we just seen this week? An invasion of Ukraine, a sovereign country. Now, we've been seeing wars and rumors of wars for what? Since Jesus ascended on the same mountain, he began to prophesy about these things. Amen? But, it says, see that you are not, what? Troubled. Or in other words, don't be taken by surprise. See that you're not troubled. Why? Because I'm warning you about it right now. If you've read the words of Jesus, which we are right now, don't be surprised by it. When you hear of an invasion here, when you see of a war breaking out over there, when everybody's saying World War III, oh my goodness. Everybody's saying World War III. You know what they, uh, they didn't call World War I World War I, Right? Amen? It took history. It took time before they started calling it, what? World War I. 
And so history has to play out, so we don't know if this is actually going to be, what, World War III. And then now you've got a whole generation of young people saying, well, I'm going to be drafted. Well, you know what? Maybe, but let's just stay in a position of what? Faith. And don't be, what? Troubled. Don't let this take you by surprise. Don't be panicking about it. Don't be troubled. Don't be in what? Fear. Because if you're in the perfect will of God, you know where, you, where, where the protection is? In the will of God. You want to know where the anointing is? In the will of God. As long as you are where he has called you to be, you have no reason to be troubled by wars. You have no reason to be troubled by pestilence. You have no reason to be troubled by famine because his protection's there, his provision is there, his anointing is there. Everything that you need is where? Where he's called you to be. But what is the game of the devil? Deceive. And what does deception often do? It gets people to adjust themselves out of the will of God. Deception gets people to adjust themselves, make minor moves. Well, I don't need to go to this church anymore. Well, uh, my, 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 my home life's not that great, so uh, I'm going to begin to do some, some side things that God really did not call me to do. And adjust yourself, make little movements out of the will of God. Amen? And then he said, and all these things must come to pass. Um, I was at the minister's conference, um, and uh, I consider an honor to be able to go to that this January. And Happy Caldwell said this, um, there's no sense in praying against something that's been prophesied by Jesus, but you can stand against it coming on your life. There's going to be things that happen. There will be wars. Why? Because Jesus said it. So there's really, you can't pray against what Jesus has prophesied, right? There will be wars. There will be famine. There will be pestilence. We just had two years of pestilence. Amen? And you can't pray against what God has prophesied. But you can pray against it coming on you. Because he died for your healing. He died for your protection. Amen? Now let's turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1. Now we've been here for some time. We're going to start in verse 1. When you're there, say, I'm there. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, a beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God, from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. Verse 3, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you being mindful of your tears. Say that with me. Being mindful, being mindful of your tears. That I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is also in you. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Verse seven. Everybody say it with me. For God, For God has, not has not given me, given me a, spirit a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. I want to give you just a little bit of just a, a quick backstory to, to what's going on in Second Timothy. Um, just a long story short, Paul is in prison. Uh, 
There wasn't much to do in prison, so Paul wrote a lot <laughs> while he was in prison. Uh, he, he wrote the majority of his writings while he was where? In prison. But here he is in prison, and at this point in time, Paul is under arrest in the city of Rome. And he's under arrest for arson, uh, which is very odd. But he's under arrest for arson. Nero had decided to burn his uh, Rome to the ground so that he could build his mansion, his house, because nobody, everybody's like, no, you can't tear my house down. Well, Nero thought, well, if I burn it down, then I can build it. Um, and so Nero, when he was accused of it, decided to blame the Christians. And Paul, being a major figure in the Christian faith, was arrested for arson. Falsely accused, of course. And here's Timothy, under pressure. And for the first time in the history of Christianity, we now have government persecution, approximately 64 A.D. So the entire time from the day of Pentecost, even in Jesus' ministry, up until 64 A.D., it was all religious persecution from the Jews. And the Jews would play uh, the government card every once in a while and, and things like that. Um, but a full government persecution didn't come until 64 A.D. Now, Timothy is the pastor of Ephesus. Everybody say Ephesus, Ephesus. which is where we get the book of Ephesians. So he's the, the pastor of Ephesus. And now that this government persecution is blazing, people are leaving. People are leaving. Ephesus was the largest church in early church history and in the history of Christianity until Dr. Cho in South Korea. It was approximately 100,000, maybe even a little bit more. And now he went from being the, lar the pastor of the largest church in the history of Christianity, but at the time, and the early church, to now the largest church in decline. People are leaving. Why? Because they're afraid. And Timothy is under real pressure. For all the things that Timothy had poured into these people's lives, he had pastored them, he had loved them, he had ministered to them, he had laid hands on them, he had done everything that a pastor was supposed to do and grown this church. And it was beautiful, it was a, a vibrant church, it was in revival. Until what? Persecution. Until the fires of the devil came. And people began to run and deny and reject Timothy, reject their faith. And now Timothy is in trouble. And so, you know, whenever you receive a letter, you have to first what? Send a letter. So Timothy decides to write Paul and say, I'm in real trouble. You have no idea what kind of trouble I'm in, but where is Paul? In prison for arson. And Timothy begins to write and say, you have no idea what I'm going through? I am in real trouble. I am fearful for my life. You know what fear does? It begins to look at self rather than looking at everything else and everyone else. Fear caused Timothy to look at himself and we know from verse 4, Paul said, greatly desiring to see you being mindful of your tears. Some versions put being mindful of your tears as we left. That's not actually what it's talking about. It says being mindful of your tears because he saw Timothy's tears on the letter that Timothy wrote him. And he was sobbing as he's writing this letter to Paul. And the stains from the tears were still on there. And Paul knows Timothy needs some encouragement. And a lot of people, encouragement's putting their arm around you and saying, it's going to be all right. It's going to be okay. God's got this. God is in control. And praise the Lord, he is. But that's not what Paul did. Paul told Timothy to do what? Pick yourself up, dust yourself off, 
Stir up the gift of God that's on the inside of you and do what God has called you to do. Quit feeling sorry for yourself. Quit cowering in fear. Pick yourself up and do what you're supposed to do. And that is essentially my message to you today. Quit cowering in fear. Pick yourself up. Dust yourself off. And do what God has called you to do. The world does not need a weak church. The world needs a church strong in power and in might with signs, wonders, and miracles confirming the word that is being preached. The world needs us. I want you to poke yourself in the, in, in the chest and say, the world needs me. Do it again. Say, the world needs me. Did you know that, that Peter and, and James and John and Paul and all these wonderful figures that we admire and look up to in the faith, they were anointed for that day. They were anointed to, to write the New Testament and form the early church and, and, and download the doctrine that we have today. And I'm going to say something that will make some people mad, but just listen. They weren't anointed for today. They were anointed for that day. You know who's anointed for today? You. You were built for today. You have something on the inside of you that even they didn't have. They, you have the anointing for the end time believer. You have the calling to sit where you are, you have the calling to be where God has called you to be. You have the tools, the abilities, the anointing, the spirit of God on the inside to do what he's called you to do and survive, but not just survive, but thrive the end times. Amen. You were built for it. That's right. You're built different than everybody else. Amen. You're built different. You have the anointing to be here and thrive. You were made for this. And you may, you may sit there and you, you feel weak. You, you, you may even be dealing with things of fear in your life. But let me tell you, you were not here by an accident. God didn't accidentally send you here and he meant to send you 20, 40, 60 years ago. He sent you here now for this moment in time because there's something in you that the world needs. There's something in you that the church needs. And the devil is trying to deceive people out of the will of God. And I want to I I say this, and I want you all to listen. He's even trying to deceive people out of their own life. He's trying to deceive people even out of their own life. Instead of doing what Paul told Timothy to do, Stir up the gift of God that is on the inside. What does fear do? Fear puts water on the fire of God. Fear puts water on the fire of God that's supposed to be on the inside of us. Amen? And so I say, put some wood on your fire. Stir it back up. Get that poker stick and just begin to fan it into flames. Begin to blow on that fire of God. Begin to remind yourself of what He has called you to do. Why you are here. Amen? You're here for a purpose. You're here for a reason. I remember uh, when I got called to be a dad, it was uh, November of 2018, and you want to know what the call sounded like? I was sitting in my living room. Sarah was in the bedroom, and I hear, Tim! (laughs) And that's what the call sounded like. (laughs) And I got the call to be a father. And during that whole uh, several-month process, I began to ask God, Lord, anoint me to be a father. I didn't want to do anything without the anointing of God. I had learned that 
I didn't want to be a pastor without the anointing to be a pastor. I didn't want to be a husband without the anointing to be a husband. And so for that several month stretch, I was, Lord, anoint me to be a father. And nothing happened. I I didn't have hands laid on me. I didn't uh, feel anything happen until I was in that hospital room. And then I felt the anointing of God come on my life. Amen? And you have been placed here, and you may not have felt anything, you may not have even had hands laid on you, but you are anointed for this time. You're anointed to be where God has called you to be. You're in the home that God has called you to be with. You are married to the person God has called you to be with. Amen? Amen. Don't let the devil deceive you out of your marriage. Don't let the devil deceive you out of your home. Don't let the devil deceive you out of your job. Amen? If there's adjustments to be made, you know how he'll do it. He'll lead you out, not push you out. The Lord does not push you out of your job. The Lord leads you out. Amen? We're still in 2 Timothy chapter 1, correct? Verse 5. Then I call to remembrance the genuine faith. Everybody say genuine faith. That is in you which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is also in you. I think it's very odd that Paul begins to bring up his family history. Well, your grandma was full of faith, full of power. Your mom was full of faith, full of power. And then verse 6, it says, therefore, why does he say therefore? Because of what I just said, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Therefore, why? Remember your family line. Your grandmother was a woman of God. Your mother was a woman of God. And there were times when they thought, well, this might be the end. And you know what God did? He brought them out. There were times where maybe your mother thought, well, I can't put food on the table. But you know what God did? He put food on the table. And so what Paul actually tells Timothy to do is remember the faith that was in your grandmother. Remember the faith that was in your mother. Remember the testimonies that they told you. Remember all the times when you were a child and you saw God come through in your family. Remember all of that and that same faith, that same miracle working power that was in your family is now in you. And the same power that brought your family through all of that is now going to bring you out of this. Amen? Amen. Paul tells Timothy, remember. Remember. Then he says, therefore, verse 6, therefore I remind you to stir up the gifts of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Well, Paul wasn't there to lay hands on him. Where was Paul? In prison. And so here's Paul in prison, bound by his hands and by his feet, who is a prisoner, is now talking to a free man who is not chained. But he says, remember the gift of God that's on the inside of you. Stir it up. Remember the calling. Remember the anointing. Remember when I laid hands on you and you received an impartation from God. And build that fire back up. Remember it. Remember. Remember. And the temptation, and when we look at events that have happened this week, and we've seen the events that have happened the last two years, it begins to get our mind to think in the future, what's going to happen tomorrow? What's going to happen in a year? What's my life going to look like then? But you know what? Paul and the Holy Spirit is telling us to do? Sometimes you don't need to think every day uh, about your future. You need to remember what he's done in the past. 
You need to remember what he's brought you through, what he brought your grandmother through, what he brought your mother through. I can remember stories that my mom and dad have told me of how God brought our family through. And I'm sure if I sat down and said, tell me more, there would be plenty more. But if he brought you out then, he'll bring you out now. If he brought you out then, he'll bring you out now. And then, now we have verse 7. We should all be familiar with this Scripture, amen? Amen. For God has not given us a spirit of Fear. fear. Well, we see here that fear is a spirit. And fear had gripped Timothy. We know that God is a spirit. And when we receive Jesus as our Lord and Spirit, our Lord and Savior, the Spirit of God comes and lives and dwells on the inside of us. But when we yield ourselves to a spirit of fear, what does fear do? Comes and lives and dwells on the inside of us. Until you do what? Kick it out. And I'll tell you how to do that in just a minute. But what does fear look like? Well, fear makes you a coward. Fear makes you a coward. Fear causes you to retreat instead of moving forward. Fear causes you to be paralyzed. It causes you to protect things. Well, Tim, that doesn't seem, seem all bad. Why are you trying to protect something in the natural that's already protected in the supernatural? Fear causes you to panic. Fear causes you to hide. Fear causes you to be unable to function. Fear causes you to hate. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, we see that God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power, love. If you're not in love, then you're in hate. All racism is is a root of fear. It's not a superiority complex. It's a fear. Fear makes you weak. Fear makes you sound crazy. If you don't have a sound mind, then you're, you sound pretty crazy at times. And fear makes you bound. Instead of walking in freedom, fear keeps you bound. But the question is, after hearing all these things, well, I don't want to be a coward. I don't want to be weak. I don't want to be, uh, walk in hatred. I don't, I don't want to retreat and hide. I want to fight the good fight of faith. But why is fear so tempting? Well, one, it sounds different each time. Or in other words, it reveals itself in new forms each time. Fear will not look the same. For the past two years, fear has looked like what? A virus. As of Thursday, fear looked like what? War. And if you're looking for an opportunity at this end times for for a break in fear, you're not going to find it. Fear will come wave after wave after wave after wave. And that can sound discouraging, but let me tell you, if you don't let fear in your heart and in your life, you use the same tools for every new wave. Because you know what? The tools that worked for COVID are going to work for war. The same tools that worked for war are going to work for the next wave. Amen? Amen. It sounds different each time. Two, it sounds logical. Fear sounds logical. It sounds logical. Well, it, it just makes sense that, that, that I would do, these, do this, uh, or it makes sense that I should move my money here. It makes sense that I shouldn't give. Well, it, it makes sense that I shouldn't gather together because, well, I could get sick and then, and then do this and, and give it to this person, and uh, I'll have to miss two weeks of work. It sounds logical. Right? Number three, it sounds protective. You got to protect it. 
And we begin to protect things in the natural that were never meant to be protected in the natural because we have supernatural protection over it. Amen? You begin to protect things. You begin to uh, uh, do things that, that uh, uh, I mean, you, you can use the masks, for example. And if you believe that that, that masks work, well, praise the Lord. Uh, do it in faith. Um, but you begin to, to do things. You begin to become overprotective of your kids where your kids don't even, aren't even able to experience a playground. And uh, you, you see what I'm saying here? You begin to protect and huddle and keep close instead of letting you and your family enjoy. Amen? I was, I was talking to my mom the other day, and uh, they were talking about, uh, I, I don't remember because it's all running together, uh, but it was, uh, they were all saying severe storms. And then they threw out the T word, tornado. And then everybody started panicking. And everybody started, oh no, what's going to happen? I need to, I need to protect. I need to, I need to, we need to get in the bathtub. You see what fear does? <laughs> I told mom, I said, you want to know what they called it when I was a kid? And I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm young, so it's not that far ago. Uh, it was called rain. It's what we called it. Rain. I'm not saying that we shouldn't uh, be mindful of what's going on. Amen? But we don't need to get into fear over a storm that's rain rain. And then every time the phrase ice storm comes up, you know what comes to mind? 2009. And everybody runs to the store and everybody gets bread and milk. Why? Because you know what the first thing that's going to spoil is? Your milk. Yeah, we, we, got, we got a Walmart employee in here, yep. You know what that is? It's a manifestation of fear. You got to get bread and milk. Why? Are you going to make bread soup? Uh, what, what, what are you going to do? It doesn't make any sense, but it sounds logical. It sounds protective. And fourthly, it sounds preventative. If I do this, I, I can prevent this from happening. If I can protect this, then it will prevent this from happening. If I do this, it will prevent this. It sounds preventative. But just as Pastor Art's been teaching over the last couple of weeks, what does fear do? It causes you to stop dreaming. It causes you to stop living. It causes you to get into a pattern where you just stop your life and you need to do what? Start over again. That's what fear does. There is no healthy amount of fear that we should tolerate in our lives because fear comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And he does not want you in the house of God. He does not want you in your house. He wants to tear your family apart. He wants to take you from your called position in your jobs. He wants to destroy you. And he uses fear. Fear causes you to make just adjustments out of, the, out of the, the will of God. But what should we do? Well, we see that God has not given us a spirit of fear. So if he hasn't given us a spirit of fear, he's given us a spirit of faith. He's given us a spirit of faith. Number one, be in a spirit of faith. It's the opposite of fear. When you're in a spirit of faith, you are confident in uncertainty. You have boldness in uncertainty. And when you have a spirit of faith about you, uh, you're not bound to what the rest of the world is bound to. You're not enslaved with what the rest of the world is enslaved with. Amen? When you're in a spirit of faith, God can get you what you need. God will provide. Amen? Everybody's talking about $5 gas. Well, you know what? If $5 gas, you know what's going to happen? Tim's going to increase. So he can pay for that. 
$5 gas. And if you're in a spirit of faith, amen? Instead of being fearful, you know what? God, um, you see the gas. You see what the, the grocery bill is. You need the increase. And we just use our training over the last however long you've been here. Use your training from your Christian life. Seed time and harvest. His exceeding abundant beyond all we could ask, think, or imagine. Press down, shaken together, running over. God shall meet all of your needs according to your riches and glory in Christ Jesus. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And if gas gets to $5, the money's going to be there. You're going to be able to pay for it. And when it comes to the summertime and you want to enjoy a great cookout and you want to grill burgers or you want to grill steak, you know what? The money's going to be there to do it. Now, there's going to be a lot of believers that are like, well, Tim, you need to, you need to conserve. Yeah, you should, you should save. You should save. Absolutely. I save. But I don't have a want. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. If I want a steak, I'm going to get a steak. <laughs> who, who wants a steak? <laughs> Praise the Lord. Only a couple of people. We need to talk about the power of beef. <laughs> and and what, what beef can do for you, it'll put a smile on your face. It'll bring the joy of the Lord in your heart. But we need to be in a spirit of faith. Number two, we need to be endued with Power. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power. power. Does anybody know what the Greek word is? Dunamis. What what word do we get from dunamis? Dynamite. Dynamite. Well, you know something that dynamite wasn't created until 1860, 1866, something like that. So the Greeks didn't know what dynamite was. You want to know what the Greeks and the Romans used dunamis for? To explain a force of nature. To describe the, the force in, in, in the power of a tornado or an earthquake or a hurricane or a cyclone. And so when they would begin to talk about dunamis power and when the Holy Spirit said to the early church that you be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit was saying you are a spiritual force of nature to pick up things and drop them out of your house to shake things up around you where the devil has come to steal, kill, and destroy. You have the ability because of the spiritual force of nature to pick it up and throw it away. You are a spiritual force of nature to shake things to the ground that don't need to be there, to remove things out of the way in your city, in your family. If there's things in your house that don't need to be there, exercise your power and get them out of your house. Amen? If there's things on your TV, you, you use your spiritual power and shut it off. Get rid of the channel, whatever it may be. Put locks on your internet. The Holy Spirit will tell you what your kids are getting into. And in today's world, it's easy. It used to be magazines. And then it was computers and then cell phones. But you know what they need now? A tablet or Internet access. That's it. It's easy. It's easy to have things in your house that don't need to be there. And you as a parent need to exercise your anointing as a parent. Amen? I need some parents in agreement with me here where I'm going to keep preaching on this. Because I see a lot of teenagers that are bound by junk and they want to serve God, but they're in addiction. And they're bound to things that no teenager should be bound to. And they see things no teenager should see. If you're not a parent of a teenager and you're a parent of a child, you need to do it now. There was a, uh, a study 
I apologize, Pastor Rod, I'm taking too long. There was a study, I'll end, I'll end in just a moment. Can I go? Can I keep going? <laughs> there was a study, and they found out several years ago that it was the average exposure to pornography was a sixth, sixth grade. They did one just a few years ago, so about four years ago, and they found it was third grade. Now, that was a four-year-old study. Now you've had a bunch of kids locked up in their homes doing NTI with Internet access. Their teacher's telling them to get online. Their teacher's telling them to search. You need to exercise your power. You need to exercise your authority. And not just with your kids and, and the the sexual twistedness and perversion of this world, but anything, any sickness. Sickness has to bow to the power in the name of Jesus. Number three, we need to be walking in love. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love. We need to walk in love. Somebody say walk in love. When you walk in love, you have two feet. I, I uh, started talking about this on a faith talk a few weeks ago. You have two feet. One foot is focusing on his love for you, and the second foot is his love for others through you. And if you get one out of whack, you get a love, wimp, uh, love limp. <laughs> Amen? If you begin to focus on how much he loves you and how much he loves you, and, oh, he loves me, but you don't use your other foot, you get a love limp. Or if you begin to just pour out and pour out and pour out and pour out and spend no time focusing on his love for you, you get a love limp. <laughs> Amen? If you want to walk correctly, you need to do what? Fo focus on both. And with Timothy dealing with so much hurt, so much pain, literally death around him, fear knocking on his door, fear possibly even taking up residence in his heart and in his mind, he was unable to love because he was protecting himself. This person hurt me, and I cannot love them, and I can't love somebody else. But let me tell you, what the world needs now is you to forget your hurt, forgive that person, and love. The world has such a fake, uh, twisted, form of love. It needs real love. It needs the love of God through you. Say through me. Lastly here, I want to end with this. Be sound in your mind. Number one, be in a spirit of faith. Number two, be endued with power. Number three, walk in love. Number four, be sound in mind. Be sound in mind. And for, for a long time, I thought, well, this is the weakest out of the three. Uh, but now I'm actually the most fascinated with this one. This, this word sound mind is um, sofrendismo. Sofrendismo. It's where we get the word sozo or salvation. It literally means be delivered, be set free, be saved, be healed in your mind. Be sozo, be saved in your mind. And what's the opposite of sound? Moved, sound as in, as in firm, moved by every wind and wave, by every wave of fear, by every wave of rumors of war, by every thing. But you know what we are? Sound. Let the wave come, let the fear come. Let the end times come, but I'm going to walk in faith. I'm going to walk in power. I'm going to walk in love, and I'm going to walk in a sound mind. Right. And when the world is blown uh, around, and when the world is confused, and the world is distressed, and the world is in trouble, you're going to look pretty. <laughs> Why? Because you're walking in a spirit of faith. You're not bound to what they're bound to. You're not weak. You have power. 
You have the power, the ultimate power, resurrection power, healing power, signs, wonders, and miracles power, power to shake what's around you and destroy the works of the devil. You have love. Where it says that, um, actually in Matthew 24, where it says, Jesus said that there will come a day when the love for many will grow cold. When everybody's in hate, you're going to be like, why is this person so loving? Why? Why? I've never, I've never experienced a love like this. And when everybody is confused in their thinking, they don't know what's right, they don't know what's wrong. We've heard that uh, verse before, amen? Where they will call what's wrong right and what's right wrong. When they praise things that should be an abomination, you'll be what? Sound. Sound in your thinking. Just one more thing I want to say about this sound mind. A sound mind has no limitations. It's not bound to the pressure caused by fear. And a sound mind is unwilling and unable to allow fear to play its routine in your mind. What does fear do? It begins to play situations, things that are a possibility, things that aren't even in the realm of possibility. It's just what fear does. Amen? But a saved mind, a sound mind, is unwilling and unable to let fear play its routine in your heart and in your mind. And you're sound. You're not moved. You're fixed. You're not weak. You're powerful. You're not in the spirit of fear. You're standing in faith. I want to encourage you with one more thing, and I'm stepping off. So, Pastor Art, if you, if you come, I feel like I've taking too much time, but I hope this was helpful for you. But in a spirit of faith, we begin to think, well, in hard times, we need to stand in faith, but maybe not for the things that we used to stand for. We just need to stand for the basics. No. When you have a spirit of faith about you, it is a license to dream with God. When you're in a spirit of faith, it is a license to dream with God. And if you begin to back off of your dream, what are you actually doing? You're getting into fear. You're getting into fear. Why? Well, I just need to believe God for the basics. I need, I need to believe God, what, what Tim was saying for, for, for the, the ability to, to pay for gas if it goes up and, and pay for the, the, the groceries. No, 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 no. You're, you're backing up. You're retreating. But a spirit of faith continues to believe God for the big things. Spirit of faith continues to believe God for a house. Spirit of faith continues to believe God for a brand new car. Spirit of faith continues to believe God for the things that are impossible in this world. That's what a spirit of faith does. And if you allow yourself just to step back and say, well, I just need to believe God. If I can believe God for this, and I'll be happy. I'll be content. Well, you're not dreaming anymore. You're not dreaming anymore. You're not really walking in a spirit of faith. But thank you for allowing me to minister to you this morning. I always consider it an honor and a privilege. I thank you for it. I thank you for, for uh, listening, and I hope this ministered to you. And Pastor Art, thank you very much.